It's official. This week marked the start of summer here in the Capital Region. It also brought the 50th anniversary of Title IX and, of course, a number of major news headlines out of Washington. Coming up on this episode of The Eagle, we'll go over the week's top headlines. And we should have the right of determination of what we want to do in terms of our gun laws in our state. And we'll learn more about the mysterious murder of a transgender woman in Albany last month. There's been very, very little information about her death released publicly. This is The Eagle, a Times Union podcast, a look inside our newsroom. I'm Jessica Marshall. If you're enjoying this podcast, take advantage of all the Times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring in you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union member today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome to The Eagle. I'm Jessica Marshall. First up, let's discuss what appeared in the Times Union and on timesunion.com this week. All right, back again are we with Times Union Editor-in-Chief Casey Seiler. I could open this by talking about the Westminster Dog Show just to, you know, tie it back to the animal theme that we've been going with for the last three weeks, but I'm not going to do that because there's much more pressing matters uh, to discuss, namely that the U.S. Supreme Court issued a decision today that knocks down New York's concealed carry restrictions. Tell us all about that. Yeah, this was a case that originated right here at home in Rensselaer County, where two men who were denied uh, concealed carry permits um, sued the state, and the case went all the way up to the Supreme Court. We have been expecting this decision for quite a while, and it dropped on Thursday morning. And in a decision, a majority decision, it was a 6-3 um, split on the court with, of course, the conservative supermajority lining up behind the decision um, written by Justice Clarence Thomas that struck down New York's what's called the right to carry law. What that means is that the state is going to have to be much more expansive in uh, the way that it uh, doles out awards uh, or just simply allows people to carry firearms outside the home, as well as, of course, possessing them inside the home. You could think of it almost as a kind of outdoors version of the Heller decision, which was the last major U.S. Supreme Court decision that found that um, the District of Columbia could not prevent people from having firearms uh, in their homes. Does everyone understand what a concealed weapon means? Governor Kathy Hochul swiftly moved to castigate the ruling that you have no forewarning that someone can hide a weapon on them and go into our subways, go into our grocery stores, like stores up in Buffalo, New York, where I'm from, go into a school in Parkland or Uvalde. This could place millions of New Yorkers in harm's way. In a news conference that she held just minutes after the decision was put out, She said that uh, the decision was not only reckless, it's also reprehensible, not what New Yorkers want. And we should have the right of determination of what we want to do in terms of our gun laws in our state. 
she has said that she will swiftly call the legislature back once they look over the decision and see where there might be a legislative fix to keep uh, many more guns uh, from ending up in holsters on the street. This has also been uh, voiced as a concern by uh, you know Senate Majority Leader Andrew Stewart-Cousins, other legislative leaders, as well as New York City Mayor Eric Adams, who in the last couple of weeks said that this would keep him up at night, the prospect of more people in the city carrying firearms. Now, of course, the governor, Governor Hochul, is uh, running in a primary next week. So can we kind of dovetail into the discussion of what who she's facing and uh, some of the other primary races we should watch out for? Yeah, she's running against Jamani Williams and Representative Tom Swasey. Jamani Williams is, of course, the New York City public advocate. According to the polls, the governor has a significant and comfortable lead. Just last week, uh, about this time, I was participating in a debate down at WNYC in Manhattan between the Democratic candidates. And I, I think it's fair to say that that debate didn't tend to change the dynamic very much in the race. Um, Hochul made no grievous errors. And while there was certainly a lot of um, jabbing and sparring, uh, there were no knockout punches landed, especially against the governor. The Republican candidates had debates on Monday and Tuesday night, the second one in a debate out in Rochester that was sponsored by the conservative news outlet Newsmax. That race, of course, involves Harry Wilson, who is probably the most moderate uh, GOP gubernatorial primary candidate, Andrew Giuliani, who is probably the farthest to the right, and then Representative Lee Zeldin from Long Island and Rob Astorino, the former um, Westchester County executive. In that race, it seems to be a little bit more of a toss-up between Lee Zeldin, who I think can be fairly described as the favorite candidate of the Republican Party's institutionalists, such as they are, and Giuliani, who is kind of more of the red meat conservative um, favorite. Now, primary day is, of course, coming up on Tuesday. You know, early voting winds up this weekend. So if you're a registered party member, uh, not only for the gubernatorial races, but also for state assembly races, please get out and vote. Yes, get out and vote and then come right back and stick close to our Capital Confidential section on timesunion.com because we will have all the latest there uh, on the on the results of the election as well as the goings on of New York state politics and government. All right, uh, moving on up to Washington County, where a story that we've been following for a long time has had more developments this week. Uh, the Cambridge Central Schools have lost their appeal to keep their mascot as is. Can you tell us more about what happened there this week? Yeah, as Kathleen Moore um, reported, and Kathleen was up late on uh, on Tuesday night to read this decision from the State Appellate Division, uh, the Cambridge uh, School Board was um, shot down in their effort to hold on to their, uh, their mascot, the Indians, and a, a profile image of an indigenous um, person this has been um, the latest development in a series of changes and reversals. Uh, the school board initially said that they would uh, dump that mascot, which decades ago they were they along with every other school board was advised, you know, was offensive. Please move away from these. 
they have not. Then there was uh, a school board election. The newly constituted school board decided to reverse course. This led to legal action and um, the involvement of the state education department, uh, which uh, has pressed for the, uh, the Cambridge district to, to dump it. Initial court decision went against them. Now the appellate division has gone against them. They could appeal it um, all the way up to the state's highest court, the Court of Appeals, but you have to wonder if the school board is starting to wonder how many teachers and guidance counselors they could pay for with the legal costs of this effort. One more story, it's an exciting one. Uh, a Burt Hills local is on America's Got Talent and people are really enjoying watching him succeed. What's what's going on there? Yeah, Kieran Rhodes, who is uh, both a composer and a performer, um, a student at the Berkeley College of Music, appeared in a gray t-shirt and black jeans, looking not not exactly like Elton John, but um, but really wowed the judges. And Simon Cowell was uh, was full of praise, and he of course can be a, uh, a a tough one at times, getting obviously a lot of support from around the region. And and Rhodes backstage says, "I can't cannot even describe what I'm feeling right now," and then gave his gave his mother a hug. God bless him. Oh, well, if he succeeds and, and wins, he will join a line of Capital Region locals who have done well on that stage or stages like it. All right, Casey, thank you so much. We will check back in with you next week. Jess, thanks a lot. As always, you can learn more about all of the topics and the issues that we discuss on this podcast at timesunion.com. After the break, a black transgender woman was found dead in her Albany apartment last month. Police say she was murdered, but they're offering no further details. We'll take a look at who the victim was and what we know so far about her killing. If you're enjoying this podcast, take advantage of all the Times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring in you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union member today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome back. You're listening to The Eagle, a Times Union podcast. I'm Jessica Marshall. On May 31st, Albany resident Assad Hemingway-Powell was not answering her phone or responding to messages. Her mother, Jackie Powell, became worried. It wasn't like her daughter to go silent. She called the police. Officers went to Hemingway Powell's apartment at Loudon Arms. They found her body there. Police initially ruled it a suspicious death, but on June 7th, they deemed it a homicide. The city's sixth homicide this year. Big chum, everything big, and little bodies. Listen, I said. Assad Hemingway Powell was 30 years old. She'd just graduated from the University at Albany a few weeks earlier with a degree in biology. She was looking forward to going to graduate school to become a physician assistant, maybe move to California. She was also an aspiring rapper who went by the name Chum Chum Balenciaga. 
she posted videos of her freestyle on YouTube and TikTok. Times Union reporter Steve Hughes recently sat down with Hemingway Powell's family to learn more about her life. I caught up with him to hear more. What did you learn and what have the police and investigators made public about what happened to her? So far, they have said very little publicly. The first that they said was that they were treating it as a suspicious death. They didn't even come out and say right away that it was a a homicide. Um, They were called to her apartment in North Albany uh, after her her mother was not able to get in contact with her. And then they discovered her body on May 31st. And several days later, they ruled it a homicide, but they have not said specifically that she died that day. They have not said how she died. They have not said if they have any suspects. So there's been very, very little information about her death released publicly. Now, you talked to her family. Uh, Tell me what you learned from her family. Let's start first about what they know about her death. Are they saying anything that law enforcement isn't, or are they just as in the dark as, as the public? Yes, I had a conversation with her mother and her brother, um, and her mother told me that, that she still doesn't know much. Her mother simply has the suspicion that whoever killed her daughter knew her. Uh, her apartment, I guess, was the type where you have to buzz somebody in the front door to get in or have a key card. So her mother believes that either you know her daughter let that person into the apartment or was out somewhere, met them, or or knew them, and brought them back to her apartment where she died. That was my baby. They took my, they took my baby from me. Tell me about what you learned about her life. Like, who was she, and you know, what were some of the things that you learned from her family? Her mom was, she was very funny in how she described her daughter. Definitely as a a character, someone who was outspoken, um, confident in herself. Uh, Her mother said that one of her favorite things about her was that her daughter always stood up for herself. She shared an anecdote about the time that her daughter overheard somebody talking about her in a bathroom, you know, asking why this person who was who was a transgender woman was using a woman's bathroom um, and some people might you know walk away not confront that person but that's not who her daughter was her daughter said something went to a manager and got that situation taken care of because she believed in herself and she believed in standing up for herself and I love the fact that she will speak up for herself mm-hmm. she always spoke up for herself mm-hmm. Her brother told me that she was, you know, always a little performer, always a little star. Um, the family, there's five of the children. They used to have little impromptu talent shows. And Asid was the second youngest, um, but she was, you know, considered the best dancer, the best performer. Um, she was always the first one who could copy a dance or copy a song and get it right first. Her family, you know, talked about how she 
loved, you know, she loved her family. She was very, very close with her nieces and her nephews, encouraging them, going to their games. You know, she had a conversation with her mother's oldest grandson, really pushing him to go to college. He, he wasn't planning on it. And she sort of sat him down and said, no, 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 you are the oldest. So if you set the pattern, the rest of them will follow you. And it's your responsibility to do that. You know, she definitely tried to look out for her family in that way, and she was very, very close with her family. After her graduation, her mother initially wanted to throw her a big, you know, graduation party with friends and family, and she said, no, I, you know, I just want a family dinner with some extended family, and that's it. I don't need a big thing. So that was what was important to her, was celebrating one of the big milestones in her life, graduating from the University of Albany at age 30 um, with those who were closest to her. What was she looking forward to doing after graduation? Her brother and her mother told me that she had her heart set on moving to California. You know, she had done a bit of traveling in her 20s and California was one of her favorite places. She decided that she wanted to become a physician assistant for a few reasons. One of them was knowing herself, she wanted to be able to make medical decisions without having a doctor necessarily overrule her or, or have a doctor's approval for everything she did. She knew that that would sort of grate on upon her and not make her career as enjoyable as it could be. But another part of it her brother told me was that she wanted to be an advocate for young transgender individuals who were seeking medical care. Um, having gone through that process herself, she knew what it was like and she knew how important it was to not only have a transgender person there to help them and to provide them information and to make them feel more comfortable, um, but could also, you know, guide them through that process and, and help them where there might be some difficult periods for them. She'd be like, mommy, get your pronouns right, because she had nails and they'd be clicking, <laughs> mommy, get your pronouns right. So. <laughs> I, I miss her. I miss her. I miss that smile. You also spoke to members of the LGBTQ community. It is Pride Month, and this murder happened, you know, right at the end of May, just as Pride was commencing. So it's taken a big toll on them as well. What are, what are they saying? I had a conversation with. Um... Tandra Legrone, the executive director of In Our Own Voices, which is a advocacy group for LGBTQ individuals of color. I am just really troubled by the acts of violence that is happening locally in our community. We talked a lot about how especially transgender women of color are so much more likely to be victims of violent crime. Um, the statistics bear it out that, you know, one in two of them, Tander told me, one out of every two is going to experience some sort of violence against them in their life, which is an astounding statistic when you think about it. The human rights campaign has produced data that shows that, um, you know, four out of five of every violent deaths of um, transgender, uh, non-binary, non-gender conforming individuals Four out of five of those deaths are transgender women of color. It's really an astounding statistic when you, when you talk about it. And I, I wanted to make sure that that was in the story to let people know that um, it is absolutely a marginalized population that is at risk. Um, and I think that 
was something that needed to be called to attention in the story. For you're going to follow the story, I'm assuming. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, then I have some questions out to other people, but I think the next step is really to find out from law enforcement what happened to her, what, um, who, who killed her. And I, you know, I know it's an ongoing investigation, but I think that question is hanging over a lot of people and is probably unnerving for a lot of people that someone could kill a transgender woman and there is just kind of radio silence on it. In Our Own Voices is offering a reward for information leading to the arrest of Hemingway Powell's killer. Their phone number is 518-432-4188. All right, that's it for this week. I'm Jessica Marshall. We'll be back next week with another look inside the newsroom here at the Times Union. In the meantime, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, or head on over to timesunion.com for the latest news and features. The Eagle is a production of the Times Union. It's produced and edited by me, Jessica Marshall, with help from the Times Union digital team and the newsroom. Special thanks this week to Casey Seiler and Steve Hughes for their contribution to this episode.